I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Man, oh man, those are some big numbers, huh? One of the things we've been saying here on these airwaves, reminding ourselves and listeners that each and every one of these numbers, each and every one of these case counts, is a, is a Utah, is a human being, is a person, is someone's brother or sister, mother, father, grandmother, grandfather, aunt, uncle. And you know that because you've seen this. As this virus has spread, you have surely seen in your own life it reach into your family and touch it somehow. I'll, uh, I'll let you know today that uh, I got word early this morning that my own uh, family, they live over on the East Coast, uh, but a number of members of my own family have come down positive with the coronavirus. I, I've been lucky thus far, and the coronavirus hasn't visited the Lonsberries yet. Well, that all changed here recently. And now we wait and watch as they quarantine, wear their masks, wash their hands. <sighs> Listen, today's not going to be about lecturing. Today's not going to be about wear your mask, wear your mask, wash your hands, maintain social distance, only hang out with those. It's not, it's not what it's going to be about. You're going to hear that repeated a number of times today. Uh, but today's not a lecture. Yesterday uh, and a good chunk of last week, we, we've been starting something and really trying to lean into uh, th- this program being not just me rambling for hours each day, but also involving you. So later on in the program, just after the 1 o'clock hour, I'm going to open up the phone lines uh, because I want to hear from you. I want to hear your experiences, especially as we enter into this new phase of the COVID era with these uh, astronomically high uh, figures. Uh, Such a a large number of Utahns now suffering from the coronavirus, uh, not only uh, in the community, but also in the hospitals. I want to hear from you. I want to hear how it has made its way into your family. Have you lost a loved one? I want to hear from you. Because I want you then to speak with all of the rest of us and share with us your pleas. We'll get into that later on. Right now, though, I want to talk about uh, some of the extra help that we are getting here in the state of Utah. Again, from New York City. Do you remember earlier on in the in the COVID virus days when when there was a shortage, a nursing shortage in New York City? A handful of Utah nurses were on airplanes traveling east. They landed in New York City and lent a hand to aid in the recovery of those suffering from COVID-19 in the hospitals. They, they saw some things. We've spoken to a few of those nurses here on this program. Stories were shared with us about, about overcrowding and about body bags, body bags piled up into refrigeration cars and driven off. That's what happens when the hospitals get overrun. That's what happens when uh, the capacity to deal with this is exhausted. Well, uh, New York City is returning the favor. 
uh, recently landed here in the great state of Utah, 31 nurses from New York City to help us aid in our efforts to heal those afflicted with the coronavirus so badly that they require hospitalization. And on top of that, on top of that, we also learned that we will be uh, receiving help from about 200 travel nurses. Now, I have to admit something to you. I, uh, up until very recently, was wholly unaware of this type of medical professional, a travel nurse. We're going to get into those details here in just a moment. What exactly is a travel nurse? What type of work do they do? And why are they so crucially valuable to our nationwide fight against the coronavirus? Certainly, certainly crucial here in Utah as we face these uh, these new high numbers. Uh, the added and increased number of Utahns recuperating in hospital. We need, you know, the manpower. You've heard people like Greg Bell uh, and Governor Herbert and Dr. Dunn and others talk about how the capacity of our hospitals is not simply measured in empty beds available, but then, of course, uh, it is also measured in uh, you know healthy medical professional bodies able and trained uh, to and available to aid in the recovery of those patients. Anyway, so that, that, that's that been a challenge, and we are knocking on the door of max capacity, and so we've needed some help. Uh, there was a press conference this morning explaining why this help is so needed. We heard from a variety of medical professionals and nurses to give us some insight, uh, which we'll break down here and explain in just a moment. Those nurses from New York City I mentioned arrived recently. Uh, they got here last Wednesday, and they have begun their incredibly important work here in fighting the coronavirus. Starting starting off today was Katie Thomas, the Associate Medical Director of Intermountain Medical Center. She explained the background of the hospital's plan. I'm going to play that for you here in just a moment, but let me remind you uh, or explain at least why I want to walk through what was shared with us this morning. And it is because these individuals from whom you will hear in just a moment, these are the people that see the suffering at its worst. All right. They see things that you and I uh, will never see and uh, are lucky to never see. But they, uh, you know, similar to uh, the the fine veterans we described uh, yesterday and honored yesterday and should honor every day, uh, these medical professionals, they are the ones that run towards the need. And the need in our hospital right now is pretty dire. Katie Thomas, again, Associate Medical Director of Intermountain Medical Center, explaining the background of the hospital's plan. In March, Intermountain created an organized system via which we could take care of our COVID population but continue to manage our patients who don't have COVID but also need health care. That plan has been implemented and edited numerous times uh, over the last weeks and months. In the last week, we've had to use part of that plan that we hoped we would never have to use. We're happy that we have the plan in place, uh, but it would be ideal not to have to go there. Now to hear from someone experiencing it herself, following that explanation, Katie Thomas went on to explain the strain medical staff has been experiencing and the limits, the limits that they have faced with the current hospital setup. Nurses are essential to the phenomenal care that we provide to patients. They are the heart of the hospital and they're the heart of our ICUs. As volume exceeds our capacity to take care of patients, we need more nurses to help our nurses out. We've hired 190 travelers to help our facilities take care of patients. 
and we are so excited that they have started to come. Uh, and we have 31 nurses here from New York, which we are incredibly grateful for. Those nurses have graciously and enthusiastically enabled us to continue providing that high-level care to patients. Those 190 travelers she made reference to, those are travel nurses. And this concept makes absolute perfect sense to me, but I had never, I had never considered the, this as a field of, uh, you know, a field of, uh, you know, these professional medical uh, providers. I had never thought about, uh, you know, someone who, instead of being dedicated to one hospital, is attached to, say, an agency or a company that stays in contact with hospital systems around the country. And as need is dynamic, I mean, think about it, as, as the seasons change... So too does illness, and as illness ebbs and flows, think of a flu season, there is a, you know, a flux of need. It comes and goes, it ebbs and flows. And so in order to maintain as close to a balance as possible, uh, you need to have the ability to staff in a dynamic way. You have your standard uh, salary-based employees working, taking care of the base level of need, and then as fluctuation arises, you have this entire army of travel nurses, travelers, as they were referred to by Katie Thomas here a moment ago. And what those folks do is when there is a specific need, they deploy. All right. They may not have a hometown. They bounce around, sometimes uh, spending eight weeks in a location, uh, 13 weeks in another, maybe 24 weeks. Who knows? But it depends entirely on the increased need. And we are seeing a massive, massive influx of need right now. And luckily, Luckily, this system has been in place. Much thanks to those 31 nurses who came from New York City. Uh, And we should also be equally thankful for uh, those who would live their life in a way that they can deploy to a place like Utah when we're in need uh, to help us out. It's a fascinating thing, and I would be eager to speak to one of these uh, traveling nurses. We're going to do our best to to get one of them on the line and speak to them in coming weeks as they help here in Utah, obviously being under understanding that their time is valuable and what they do each day is much more valuable than uh, chatting with me here on the radio. But uh, to get a window into uh, the services they offer and the lifestyle they live, uh, it's an admirable thing. And I look forward to uh, learning more about those who, who live this type of life and do this type of work all over the country and all over the world, honestly. Anyway, we're going to take a break right now. When we return, I want to share with you some of the things that were uh, spoken in the governor's press conference. You, you heard that. We aired it in its, most of it just a, a moment ago before the show began. But Dr. Dunn said something about football players that I think is important, and I think it contains within it a lesson that you and I can apply to our behavior as we look to stop the spread of this coronavirus. Uh, more next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. Uh, listen, I, I know that you know talking ad nauseum about the coronavirus and case counts and uh, records and hospital capacity, it, uh, it's not great radio, right? You and I, we want to talk about intrigue. We want to ask uh, hard, pressing questions. We want to get uh, some exclusive interviews here on the radio. Well, that's correct, and believe you me, if, if it were up to me, I would rewrite the story of 2020 to be without coronavirus. Uh, I'd probably do with a little bit of, uh, I'd, probably, I'd probably erase a good deal of uh, political division as well. 
Uh, I'd like to I'd like to be talking about uh, ingenuity and innovation and accomplishment by folks like you and me and other Utahns around this great state. That's the stuff I'd like to talk about. That's the stuff I'd like to open the phone lines and share with you. I'd like to hear your thoughts on new business and exciting accomplishments by you and your your children and the community. That's what I'd like. And we're going to get back to that. We, I, I, I know we will. I can feel it. But we are nowhere near that right now. New record case count today, 3,919 Utahns tested positive for the coronavirus. That coming from the 13,926 who were tested just yesterday. You know what that does? That brings us to a 28% positive rate. That is a record. That is the highest percentage positive rate uh, to date. And the seven-day rolling average is also up right now, standing at 23.2%. A texter sent a a note in a moment ago. And if you have any thoughts you'd like to share, the text line is always open. It's 57500. It's the Utah Community Credit Union text line. And I got a text message, the most recent one to come through. It says, I don't want to hear about cases anymore. I want to know about deaths and hospitalizations. Uh, and if I if I might try to interpret that a bit, uh, the idea there is that cases, that's a number that can fluctuate based on how many people present themselves to uh, a facility to get tested. And so, you know, if, if not many people go get tested, well, that number could come down and you can make an argument. Well, it's not so bad here in Utah. Well, if you factor in, as the texture here requests that I do, uh, the the number of Utahns currently hospitalized and the number of Utahns who have lost their lives, then the picture becomes a little more clear. And the understanding of exactly where we stand becomes a little more absolute. And so let me share those numbers with you, Texter. Thanks again for the, uh, for the encouragement here. Hospitalizations. Right now, there are 468 people hospitalized suffering from the coronavirus. That is a new record. There at no point during this pandemic have been more COVID-19 sufferers than there are at this moment. And you want to know about deaths? Nine Utahns, nine more than yesterday, have passed away. Many of them hospitalized at the time of their death. Many of them uh, in the age group between 85, or I'm sorry, 65 and 84, uh, a few over 85. But then, too, also uh, a few in the age group between 45 and 64. If memory serves, we, uh, we lost someone last week between the ages of 25 and 44. There you go. Those are the numbers. That's where we stand right now. The governor, along with Greg Bell, they they took to the microphone here today. Greg Bell, uh, he's been a guest on this program a a number of times. He, the president and CEO of the Utah Hospital Association, is able to give uh, like an accurate look into exactly, exactly what is taking place in the hospitals around the state. We had a conversation a moment ago about the influx of need. Right. With more people there suffering, there is an added need for there to be medical workers to aid. That's doctors, nurses and technicians. Thirty one have flown in last Wednesday from New York City. Uh, Another texter points out very wisely that uh, in addition to praising those from New York City who have come here, we also ought to praise the Utah nurses and doctors who went back to New York earlier this year to make this reciprocal exchange possible. I thank that texter for pointing that good point out. Uh, because it's true, 
right? Uh, first, when New York City was in need, we sent a number of Utah nurses there to help. We've spoken to some of them as they've come back, and what they saw there was heartbreaking stuff. They saw bodies piled in body bags in refrigeration cars because there's no room in the morgue. We don't want to be there here in Utah. Not long after that, when things relaxed in New York City relatively and we had an added need here in Utah, it was nurses from New York City that came here to help us. And we, again in need, are welcoming 31 back. And there may be more. But in addition to those 31 that came from New York City, we've learned of, uh, to me at least, uh, an industry with which I was unfamiliar before. And that is travel nurses or travelers. They were referred to in a press conference earlier this morning. Now they're a little expensive, right? It's a specialized thing. You know, there's not uh, necessarily, uh, you know, job security there. You, You go contract to contract and there are contracting companies that take their cuts. So there's certainly an expense. More so than, you know, a standard salaried nurse. But I I did a little bit of investigating through, uh, you know, my Facebook friends this morning. uh, And I was looking at anyone who uh, had, like, travel nurse in their occupation description. And I I found a few friends of mine. And let me tell you that the the people that I encountered there are some of the uh, greatest, strongest, most resilient people that I have known in my life. And... That resilience is necessary because you only get a call uh, as a travel nurse when things are bad, when there is a need that is so dire that they need to augment the number of uh, regular employees there at the hospital. You get the call. You get the contract. And so the situation into which you walk is one often of uh, irregular suffering. That's what's going on here in Utah. Got a text here that says that uh, a friend of theirs is a travel nurse. She's coming to Utah from California in December. I bet she'd be happy to talk to you. We'll track her down. Love to hear her story. Love to hear what it's like to live a lifestyle where you go uh, from need to need. You bounce uh, from region of the world where the need is the highest uh, onto the next where the need is the highest. Well, they're coming here to Utah because the need is the highest. Here is Greg Bell, again, president and CEO of the Utah Hospital Association, explaining the state of healthcare workers here in Utah. We've been in contingency care for a few weeks now, and by that I mean that we have expanded every possible resource. We have enlisted every nurse, doctor, and um, technician who's expert in treating this. Dr. Angela Dunn, you've heard from her countless times, state epidemiologist. She there participating this morning herself. Uh, She spoke about the timing of these new high numbers and what it means uh, for our actions to fight the virus. We're four days in to the new state order and our hard reset. We do need to give these measures time to see an impact on our case counts. However, we know that COVID continues to spread throughout the state, throughout all of our communities and all of our age groups. It's not one particular population that is experiencing the spread. The reason I share that with you is to point out that, uh, you know, we can't just look to Utah County and the the students at BYU. We can't just look to uh, Utah County and the students at UVU. We can't just look north to Logan and the students there at Utah State. Uh, Dr. Dunn 
shared here that the spread is happening everywhere, irrespective of geographic location, irrespective of demographics. It's spreading everywhere. I'd like to get you on the phone. I want to hear from you. When we return, I'm going to play for you one last clip from Dr. Dunn. She talks about one group in particular that surprisingly is not seeing a spread of the coronavirus. There's one group in particular that, for one reason or another, has been able to limit the spread. Would you believe that it's high school athletes? You remember last week when we when we heard from the governor and he put in place the new declaration of a state of emergency and the health order along with the Department of Health, he uh, talked about and laid out some exceptions that there uh, is still the ability for certain athletes to compete. Many folks thought, well, how, how that, that's that's hypocrite. How, how can we how can we do that? You've got these athletes who are breathing heavy, they're close to one another. Well, guess what? Dr. Dunn has observed that, in fact, the spread of the coronavirus amongst them is uh, is very low. Now, why is that? Why is that? It's because they care about their sport. And so my question to you is, what is the thing that you care about and how will you protect it? I want you on the line. I want to hear about what's going on in your household. How are you encouraging yourself and others in your family to limit the spread? And then, a heavy question... Have you lost anyone to the coronavirus? I want to hear your story and your plea to others. Next on Live Mike, the number 801-575-8255. Your call's next on Live Mike. I got to give this a break. I, uh, you hear on these airwaves, you hear the governor, you know, repeating his pleas to wear your mask, to maintain social distancing, to uh, right now under the state of emergency, to uh, limit your casual social gatherings to those within your own household. Uh, You hear Dr. Dunn share those same pleas, Uh, Greg Bell from the Hospital Association. You hear me repeat this over and over. Uh, The the reason for that is, number one, I I think it's important. I think the information is good. Uh, And and number two, I think it uh, it can save lives. You know, not to be not to be, uh, you know, over the top about all this. But, you know, you you repeat these fundamentals enough. I think it can save lives. You know, if we do our part, there will be people who will live that if we didn't would die. Got it. Uh, I, I want your help. I want to hear from you. I want to hear what you are doing and what you would uh, uh, you would implore others to do to mitigate this spread. What's the experience in your own household? You know, we've been sequestered away for so long. We've been doing so much of this social distancing. I've realized I have had only, uh, you know, few occasions to, to speak with many other people about this. Yeah, it's just me talking to the wall. And I imagine that might be the same for you. And so if you'd like to take advantage of, of this radio program to share what you are going through, please, uh, I'd ask you to do so. The number to call is 801 575 Eight two five five again. Eight zero one KSL Talk. Eight zero one five seven five eight two five five is the number. Now, I got an interesting text uh, a moment ago. It kind of puts the the numbers in uh, an interesting perspective, nonetheless. Uh, and it reads: If the people currently infected with COVID, so that's the active cases. And I went over to the coronavirus.utah.gov website and confirmed this as of the eleventh. There are approximately 44,000 active coronavirus cases here in the state. The text reads, if the people currently infected with COVID were a city, it would be Utah's 19th biggest city or about the size of Bountiful or Riverton. 
Yeah. Bountiful has a population of 43,981. Uh, and then Riverton, about 44,440. Uh, so right in there, Bountiful or Riverton, uh, if you have a sense of the size of those two Utah cities in your mind, either one of those represents just about the number of Utahns currently suffering from the coronavirus. That's a tough deal. Because, yeah, they're you know 18th and 19th ranked, respectively, Riverton Bountiful. Uh, but they're not small. Those are not small places. 44,000 is a big number. Anyway, uh, let me share with you that point made by Dr. Dunn about the high school athletes. It's fascinating uh, because it, you know, if, if you if you aren't an epidemiologist, if you aren't a doctor and you, and you go around, you know, trying to guesstimate exactly where these high concentrations of cases might be, it might be natural to say, oh, yeah, you know, the athletes that are uh, running up into each other, breathing on each other, breathing heavily into one another, traveling on buses, finding themselves in locker rooms, clustered on the sidelines. Of course there's going to be high spread there. Well, listen to Dr. Dunn. Amongst these incredibly high numbers, we have been seeing some elements of hope. Part of the state order that was issued on Monday was to test all those involved in the high school football playoffs. Yesterday, we tested 1,360 individuals. These are players, coaches, trainers, drill team, cheerleaders. And we only identified 49 positive cases. This is a percent positivity of 3.6%. You know, and we've heard strong anecdotal evidence that kids who are participating in these football programs are taking COVID precautions very seriously. They're physically distancing. They're associating socially with only a few number of people. And yes, they're doing this to protect their football season, but this is very clear evidence for the rest of us that these types of behaviors work and that they need to be applied across all of our lives. And I can't believe I'm about to say this, but we all need to start acting like high school athletes. They have something they care about, and they're protecting their ability to keep playing. So find that thing that you care about as much as these athletes care about football, cheer, and drill. It's a, it's a, fascinating, it's a fascinating reality. Now, 3.6%, that is that's still a percentage that we'd like to avoid, but how about that? How about these uh, young student athletes who care so much about their sport and their ability to compete that they are the ones setting the example? They are the ones setting the example of how to mitigate the spread. Of the 1,000-plus tested, some only 49 come back uh, positive. Absolutely stunning. Uh, one last text I want to get to before we turn to uh, the, the phones, and I'll give the number out uh, again once more. It's 801-575-8255-801-KSL-TALK. The question is very simple. What are you doing to, to limit the spread? And what is the plea that you would make to others as you looked at your own family and see that, okay, there are some high-risk folks here. Uh, there are some folks of, uh, of advanced age uh, we've got some people to protect. Uh, what would you ask of others to do to protect them? I repeat this stuff all the time. You hear the governor say it. You hear Dr. Dunn say it. Now it's your turn to share your plea. But first, this this text message comes in. I'm curious why we can't give exact ages of those that passed with COVID as well as if they had underlying conditions. Here's the reason for that, and it comes from the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. That's HIPAA. And you hear references to HIPAA made so often. Well, 
the health jurisdictions that share this information and the hospitals that transmit it to those jurisdictions, uh, you know, they're bound by by certain privacy laws. And somewhere in there uh, between the specific age and the age range is when you get like clear in terms of HIPAA. So if you if you get too specific with an age and circumstances, you might be revealing identifiable information. And uh, HIPAA, again, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, a bill passed during the Clinton administration in 96, uh, that uh, precludes you from revealing. And and I think that's a good thing, right? We should be able to protect uh, our own health circumstances. I I know that that's been challenged in this COVID era, uh, but we really ought to uh, be protecting folks' privacy. All right, now to the the phones. We have a few callers lined up. Uh, Chris, uh, Chris, you calling from Centerville and says here you just got out of isolation. Yeah. Uh, tested positive middle of last week, but I started showing symptoms back on Sunday of last week. Okay, so so that's the the, the the ten days from the onset of symptoms. Is that the guidance you followed? Yeah. And what would you say to others? What was your experience like, and how how would you you know ask others to help uh, avoiding that for other people? So for me, I have I have to admit I worked for two days while exhibiting symptoms uh, because it felt a lot more like stress or with like or like an asthma cough than it felt like what I was expecting COVID to feel like. Yeah. And so I, I finished out my, my work week and, and then as my symptoms didn't get any better, I decided I would go get tested. And, and it's like, that, that was two extra days or at, or at least one extra day that I didn't have to expose the people I work around to that virus if I had been more responsible and gone in and asked about testing and, and, and said, hey, I, I, I developed this cough. It could be COVID. I probably shouldn't work today. Yeah. And so, so just that level of um, being more responsive to those little signs that, that again, we may brush off as, as a common cold or something like stress, something that's not as severe and that we get more frequently and, and realize that while we, this is like, A, we don't want to be spreading those other things either, right. but B, this is so much more likely for those simple symptoms to actually be COVID and and to be something that can be really dangerous to other people around us, even if for ourselves it's not that severe. Chris, I've got to say goodbye and take a commercial break here. But number one, I am pleased to hear that you are on the mend. And number two, uh, I admire your, I admire you sharing your experience and admitting uh, that you waited for two extra days. Uh, and that ought to be a lesson to others to, if you feel something, if you feel a certain way, uh, go get yourself tested. We're going to take a quick break. I'm going to leave the phone lines open. I'm going to ask them, Melissa and Kathy, Trish and Ed, and all the others to hang on the line. We'll get to you after the break here on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is K. ASL News Radio. Hey, listen, today's show is not about doom and gloom. All right, we're in a tough spot here in the state of Utah, but we're gonna get it, we're gonna get through this, we're gonna do it together, and then there is gonna be a time, there's gonna be a day that comes where we look back on 2020 and uh, you know and laugh and joke. It'll get some kind of cute nickname, and that's not insensitive. You know, there, there is real suffering happening, uh, and oftentimes it is, uh, you know, humor and a little bit of jocularity that gets us through things, and so uh, that day will come. That day will come. Right now, though, it's time to put our 
uh, what is it, our nose to the grindstone, or what's that saying? At least putting our shoulder to the wheel. We know that one, right? <laughs> uh, to get past this pandemic. We can do it. Uh, we're in maybe a worse spot now than we have been since, uh, you know, we even first heard the word coronavirus, but we uh, do have the capacity to get through this. Uh, I have made a plea, though, to you to help. I <laughs> I get a little bashful uh, repeating myself. I feel like a, a broken record when I, you know, repeat these fundamentals over and over again, and we air so often the words of the governor and Dr. Dunn and others who are making these pleas. I want to today uh, do more listening to you. Uh, I want to do more listening than speaking on today's program, and uh, for that reason, I've invited you to to call in and share your experience as you battle this coronavirus and maybe put out a plea to others, uh, things that you would like to see done in order to keep you and your family safe. Maybe you're in a high-risk group. Maybe you have lost a loved one to the coronavirus. Maybe uh, one of your loved ones is uh, one of those suffering alone right now in a Utah hospital one of the highest numbers that we have seen uh, from the beginning of this pandemic. And so that's my plea to you. Why don't you call in and let's have a conversation about it. The number is 801-575-8255. That's 801-KSL-TALK is the number. We'll go back to the phones now. Melissa from Salt Lake has some thoughts to share. Melissa, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on. And thank you for holding. I know we had a commercial break in there. I'm grateful to you for your patience. What would you say to folks uh, listening today as they try to uh, you know, decide exactly how they want to uh, behave going forward in this coronavirus? Yeah, um, I am an advocate for masks. I think that as we all need to be at this time. I mean, I don't know how I would feel, I imagine, if because I wasn't wearing a mask, if I got somebody sick and they were really sick or happened to pass away. I mean, I have a mom who is in her mid-60s, and she's in a high-risk group. Um, And, you know, I hear these people say that they don't want the government to tell them what to do. Well, you know, we have to stop at a red light. Why is that any different? I mean, this is something that saves lives. I'd like someone to tell me what the difference is when someone talks about that. I just think that it's very important to do this. It doesn't hurt anybody to wear a mask. Or maybe, you know, I know some people have health issues that, that, you know, that can't wear one, but I think for the majority of us can, and I think we should. Yeah, very good, Melissa. Thank you so much for the for the call there. Uh, if you read the, the declaration, the state of emergency from the, the governor when he lays out the the order under the you know his authority plus the authority of the health department, uh, you do hear that there are exceptions for those who are, uh, you know, medically precluded from wearing masks. If you if you if you can't breathe or whatever like that, uh, you'll be able to, uh, you know, be accepted from that. But still, you bear a responsibility to protect others from yourself, and so you may need to engage in what a little bit of extra social distancing, maybe. Uh, next up, Kathy from Tooele. Ka- Kathy, how are you? Kathy, are you there? All right, we may have lost Kathy. We'll move on to, to Trish calling from Layton. Trish, uh, how are you and what's on your mind today? I think we're having some troubles with the phones. Who's on the line? Let's do it this way. Who do I have on the line here? Is this uh, Kathy's on the line? Kathy, okay, outstanding. My apologies. Kathy calling from Tooele. Oh, t- t- tell me what you're feeling today. Um. I am concerned about the uh, mental issues that may come up, the psychological problems with our children 
uh, my grandchildren, you know, don't want to go into a store or go to something because they have to wear a mask, I do believe that the masks are effective and should be worn, um, but I also believe in kind of a natural immunity. You know, this isn't the first time a virus or something, you know, like plagues and different things have happened throughout history. So uh, it is just something that does occur. I feel bad that so many people are uh, ostracized or feel guilty, like the last lady was talking about. I know a family that I'm close with that was very conscientious and responsible, the, uh, the hand sanitizers, the mask wearing, you know, but still was out and about going to stores and everything. And one of them came down with the virus, a simple kind of a cold-like, but then had a little bit of uh, their holistic people and avid exercise people and uh, just felt a little different with the exercise, little breathing issues yeah. and stuff, uh, and have, did have the virus, got tested right away, uh, three days after the symptoms started because conscientious and uh, in a household and then 10 days later the second adult got it and then uh, they decided to get the other people tested and now a third person again very conscientious following the rules but they feel guilty and responsible and just like the other caller you know you I think we're making people feel guilty for getting it they have no idea how they got it or as far as they know it did not ever come in contact with anyone yeah Kathy thank you and so again, much uh, Kathy, thank you for thank you for calling and sharing the experience of your friends there. I uh, I don't know that there is much that is making people feeling guilty for getting it. I think the guilt uh, it comes in the possibility that you uh, may be an asymptomatic carrier, and that just the unknown that our behavior, if we do so in like a, a frivolous way, may contribute to the spread of this deal. Uh, I. I, uh, I hope that, that no one who contracts this feels guilty, uh, you know, unless, of course, they were going out there and uh, willfully contracting that. Uh, anyway, m- moving along in the, the phone list here, uh, let me put out the, the number again. It's 801-575-8255, 801-575-8255. KSL Talk is the number. Looking at the text messages here, the plea I've put out is, uh, just for you to do a little more of the talking. I, as the host of this program, uh, I shoulder the burden pretty heavily about uh, when it comes to talking. And I have for now weeks, months even, uh, been you know beating this mask drum, beating the hand-washing drum. And uh, I just want to hear from you where you stand on all of this and what advice you might give to your neighbors on this day as we face uh, some record high, unfortunately high numbers. Back to the phones. Uh, Ed from Layton. Ed, sir, how are you? I'm fine. Great. How are you? Uh, I'm all right. I'm grateful to you for calling in. What's on your mind? What's your experience right now? Well, I guess I, the concern I'm having is over the concern about uh, the numbers that we keep going up. It, it is a virus. Um, it is viral. It's going to spread, and it has spread. But my point, and I guess what, I'm, the, what I want to ask is, as they, uh, we've been told they're increasing testing, it would be naturally mathematically to assume that the cases are going to go up. And so I, while I am concerned about hospitalization, concerned about the, the, uh, the number of personnel we have to treat people with extreme cases, um, I'm also concerned that the raw numbers 
uh, are yeah. being somewhat inflated by the fact that we're testing more. Yeah, you, you, so, you, you do ask a good question. You make a good point there, Ed. Uh, and uh, let me tell you, I have sat through now countless of these press conferences where we interact with uh, Dr. Dunn, the, the folks at the health departments that keep their eyes on these numbers. And this question has come up a number of times. And what is always the, the response is that while, yes, well, yes, something like that is possible, that if you expand your pool of tests, that you are quite naturally going to come up with a larger raw number. What they have observed is, you know, regardless of that reality, that there is always a corresponding influx in hospitalizations and subsequent deaths. There is a relationship between high case counts, uh, high death numbers, high numbers of Utahns losing their lives, and high numbers of Utahns finding themselves in the hospital. We have about 30 seconds left. We'll squeeze in one more call from Andy. Andy, sir, how are you? you got 20 seconds. What's on your mind? Well, um, I've my, my, my past experience from my employment puts me in a point where I, I almost feel like people are putting themselves in kind of a, a criminal element kind of thing where I hate to say it, but my experience is people in the criminal area are very selfish. This virus and everything about it is not about them. It's not, in other words, not about you. It's about everybody else. Quit being so selfish. Yeah. Uh, Andy, thanks so much for that call. Uh, Andy made reference to his former employment. He said uh, he was in a, he was a correctional officer, worked in a correctional facility. He's seen some stuff and uh, that's his point there. We need to think about others here in the community. All right, that's it uh, for the the coronavirus talk. We're going to take a break. When we return, we are going to look at uh, we're going to look at what's happening specifically in the Davis School District. They have uh, some new testing protocols. They also uh, have some schools right now in the midst of a soft closure. What's happening in the Davis District? We'll speak with Chris Williams, representative from the district, next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.